Hello everybody, I'm Mario the Artisan Rogue and this is Radio 74. I'm jumping right into this because I had a pretty good weekend. Um, aside from getting a little, I'm, if, I apologize if I sound a little hoarse or a little under the weather, it's because I am. I had just done a show uh, this December 4th, just yesterday, uh, and it was the Topeka FreeCon. Now this is put on by my buddy Craig Klotz. He, uh, he normally runs FreeCon and Free State in Lawrence. And the show was really cool. It was its inaugural one. It was in a uh, a uh, old school that has now been turned over, you know, into an area for not-for-profits and stuff like that to be able to utilize. It's more of like a community center kind of setup. It was really kind of bizarre. Anytime I ever go into any school like that, it was. <laughs> I was remarking to uh, one of the other artists that was there. Um, in fact, the guy that was uh, to the right of me, Travis Travis Fox, that how is it that any elementary school I go into that at the exact same time, it is the most familiar thing in the world. It is also the most different thing in the world. It just, because it felt like all the times, like eternally walking kind of with my head down, staring at the tiles, you know, on the, <laughs> the linoleum squares on the floor, but then there's tiles lining the walls and then the, the lockers. It, it's always a surreal thing for me. So the show was pretty cool. It was really great. Um, in a lot of different ways. It was a slower show for me, which I, I want to preface this by saying, number one, it was the first time out the gate. The audience that attended were certainly a lot of people I normally had never run across as far as I know, with the exception of one lady who did pick up uh, an issue of Pagan Zoetrope, which I'm very grateful for. In fact, I did recognize her. She had all my other issues from prior. And uh, so by any chance, if you happen to hear this radio show episode, thank you for that. <laughs> Um, I did sell a couple of my comics and moved a few other items and things like that. I think the total attendance for the show was about 300 people. It also marked in another series of firsts, not only the show, uh, the very first time I was ever put on a panel. And now the panels are more like a round talk, you know, round table sort of discussion with a bunch of chairs in a circle. And I don't remember who it was that said it felt kind of like an AA meeting setup <laughs> or like, and I was like, well, yeah, that's kind of true. But I also felt like it was very similar to my days in improv, you know, like doing that sort of stuff because, you know, you'd be like, okay, you know, so you're playing the part of a chair and, you know, you're asking, what's my motivation? What are, well, you're a Republican chair or whatever, you know, like a, a, an actual piece of furniture or something. And, and I always thought um, when I was sitting in there, just how bizarre life can be, how certain things can change with time, even though time can seem cyclical, it's really odd how something like that, that suddenly comes up into my present moment has different memories and feelings attached to it. And now has even more definition to it because of where this show was held. So for the most part, I, you know, it was fine. Uh, I was really happy because there was a youth group that was uh, involved with the show and they, um, they were the ones that kind of got together with Craig, from what I understand, to get this show started. And that, to me, was a really good bit of news. Um, as far as shows have been concerned, there was another one that was of a more concerning light. NakaCon, my beloved NakaCon, is currently going through some problems. Hopefully, it will be able to endure. Now, this isn't anything they haven't already shared on their social media site. Uh, they are a show that is uh, anime and manga based that is held in Overland Park. And they've been going for years. And the pandemic was not kind to them, not unlike it was for a lot of other shows that didn't make it. In this circumstance, 
I certainly had a great time this year doing the show. It was probably the best I'd ever done at a show. Uh, this next year, they're saying, I guess that we're going to have about twice as many people that you know, they're going to cap the attendance at 6,000 people. Whereupon this this last time that I just did it right now, it was about 3,000 people, I believe, were able to attend. Um, but they are opening up more slots and more areas for people to be able to come in as vendors and artists and that sort of thing, which is fine, which is great. I'm just happy to hear that the show is going to be coming back. Now, the difficulty ensues for this show in that what does that mean for the future? And, you know, a lot of these massive shows, the really big ones, you know, like C2E2 and the Wizard World and stuff, which Wizard World didn't really even survive this. I don't remember who exactly bought them, but th and this is quickly you know turning into a whole discussion about shows. But um, I, I promise there's a reason, a more personal reason for all of this. Uh, that I'm going to get to here in a second. But with the shows, what really has gotten to me is the fact that um, we're seeing we're seeing true change. We're seeing things happen where shows are kind of having to take, you know, a good long look at what they're capable of doing. You know, a lot of them are rightfully so taking the pandemic fairly seriously and the safety of patrons and everything else like that, you know, involved as far as like guests they're going to have, what sort of things they can even have on site and what they're able to, you know, recover from and be able to afford, you name it. And I imagine that one of the challenges has been to be able to stay in the presence of mind of people that have attended their shows in the past and be able to still manifest a really good show that people want to attend. Now, if you want more information, you can check out the description here below um, on Podbean and there'll be a link there that goes to their donation uh, for myself. I'm hoping that they can make it. And as soon as I can, I do plan on donating. I did get the good news uh, via email today that the, the 2022 show is going to happen. It will physically be an event. It is moving forward from there. That will be the true challenge. It will also, I imagine, and this is purely speculation on my part, I don't have any real dealings with the decision-making or anything behind the scenes at all with NakaCon. I'm just extremely close to the event because it is my favorite event. Um, I imagine that they're also looking for the money to pay for a lot of other things like either equipment rentals or, you know, bringing in, you know, voice actors or, you know, any other guests that they've ever had in years past, something like that into the show to have some added value for people that go to the show. It you know also provides the ability to, you know, have more opportunities to give other things either away or like, you know, like any number of things they may be doing. I again, intrinsically I don't know all of the inner workings of the show. I just know that, you know, running a show isn't cheap at all. And when you have one or two years that don't go spectacularly well for you from a financial standpoint, that can be pretty devastating. Most, and it, I mean, we're essentially talking about small businesses here, whether they're nonprofit or not. It's still something where you rely on the income to be able to pay for the venues, pay for guests, equipment, you name it. So the reason I'm explaining all this was because I got to, uh, when I was at the uh, Topeka FreeCon, it was laid back enough that you know I got a chance to catch up with some artists. Um, a good friend of mine, Cam, was sitting next to me and we, uh, you know, just spoke back and forth, told stories, anecdotes, that sort of thing. But it was also getting to meet some of the other artists and talk to them and hear, you know, what they had been going through and that sort of stuff. And there was one particular 
uh, fellow. I only talked to him briefly in passing. He uh, he was talking to Travis Fox about like you know the fact that he was, you know, I, I believe, and I'm paraphrasing here. He had gotten to a certain age and realized that he needed to you know really jump in and go all out with you know trying to become a comic creator. And uh, his setup was pretty sweet. I mean, his branding was on point. <laughs> it was it was crazy considering that I think if I if I had my timeline right from what I heard. I believe he had jumped into this about two or three years ago and he was already like, you know, branded hoodies and shirts. I think he had some pins and stickers. He had one or two comic book issues out. It was really pretty crazy. And I thought to myself, like, this is something else. Like, this is really cool. Now, at that exact same time, you know, I'm going to delve into something that I've talked about before, but this is certainly something that I was worried about when when I was under the impression that Nakacom was going away, I thought, okay, well, that is my big show in this area. If it's not there, then I have to relinquish and try and do Planet Comic Con. Now, Planet Comic Con, from what I understand, is usually around $350 or thereabouts. Again, guessing. I have no idea if they've raised or lowered their booth prices. I have no idea. But it isn't a cheap show to be able to do. I'm Under the best of circumstances, that means you've got to try and make at least about 100 and something dollars a day, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday to be able to quote unquote, cover your table you know, costs. I always have an issue with that because that's kind of how I operated for a long time. But I remember an artist that in conversation said, you know, the whole idea of just quote unquote, covering your table cost is something it's remiss because we end up lulling ourselves into this, uh, sense of, this, this ideology, the sense of satisfaction that's somewhat false, right? It is a false narrative. Breaking even means that you were able to get there and sell just enough to cover what you were charged. When you start a show, you're already in the negative. This is something I have continually talked about. And I bring it up in almost every single post I've ever done, especially in this last year with any shows I've tried to do. Um, and I talked very vehemently about this before. Now, one of the things that I always look at is the fact that, you know, shows cannot happen without artists. It's plain and simple. And I understand that shows need to have income to be able to run. A lot of times that can be through either charging the attendees, which is a little, you know, wary whenever you're a brand new show and you're unproven and people don't really know what to expect from whatever sort of event you're putting on. And I can also understand where there's a need to want to charge artists for doing a show. It's an ability for them to go and do that sort of thing, you know, have a safe space to be able to ply their trade, their wares and, you know, interact with people, garner new followers, whatever, you know, it's it, and that's fine. I do have some issue, though, whenever it starts getting to the point to where if you're trying to start out or you're trying to get into the game, or maybe you're, you're having some low times with whatever works you're working on. And the first thing that happens is you have to pay a fairly steep price to get into a show to be able to set up. Now, if we talk about it from a monetary standpoint, you also have to be able to incorporate, and this is grounds I've already covered before, but you have to be able to cover the driving time, the gas time. Did you eat that morning? Did you, you know, how much sleep did you lose? How much time were you, spending getting ready for the show did you create new products did you have to pack up new things all of those are technically self-billable hours that's that's your time is worth money even if you're not necessarily somewhere selling something you are mo motivating and moving yourself in that direction to be able to do that show and i'm not trying to be a party pooper 
the truth is, is that when we don't take that into consideration, when that doesn't happen, we really have to think twice about what we're doing. Now, this isn't to say that anything's going to change. Nothing I've just said right now is going to cause any sort of change to happen across any show right now. It's just not. But every single time I do a show, I do wonder what was the worth of the booth? Did I make good money? How did it work? Now, with NakaCon, my booth fee is usually around the $100 price range for three days at a show that at its maximum will have somewhere around 7,000 to 9,000 people show up. That's pretty darn good. I've always made that back. That's never been a problem. Something bigger than that, anytime it starts to get into three or 400, depending on what's going on, that also means the show is much larger. There's a wider zone of fans and people that are looking for things to buy. There's also a greater chance of being lost in the shuffle, especially if the number of vendors or the, the uh, avenue is being put in is much larger and spaced out in a certain way. I didn't believe that until recently when I went with my brother to Planet Comic Con and of all the damn things I got lost. Like I know Bartle Hall like the back of my hand. I've been there for car shows, for other shows over the years. I still managed to get misdirected. I, I completely forgot which aisles I went back down. And I knew about a lot of the artists, you know, and and you can and if you're like me, you also end up looking for those people that have the, you know, quote unquote tower walls of like prints in the background. <laughs> and you just go, well, there's that artwork. Yeah, I remember seeing that one millionth version of the Batman and Joker. Okay, so there's that. And they, they kind of become landmarks for you as you're walking around shows. But I've seen so many shows um, that have come and gone. KCCC was one that was here in Kansas City for about three years. They were kind of a break off from Planet. Um, another one was StealthCon in Warrensburg, which gave it a good two to three strong years of trying. They really did. Um, and then I think the main guy that was involved with it ended up having to to uh, move somewhere else. I, I don't remember where he PCS to. Um, it was a show that was put on in part with Whiteman Air Force Base. It was sort of an interesting concept. And, it, and I think that if given the chance, it could have grown into something far better, bigger and greater. But... You know, some shows just don't make it past a couple of years. And the only real evidence of that ever having happened is the uh, vendor badges that I have up on the wall with the rest of my collection. So the reason I'm talking about any of these things is because, and I'm going to tie this back into something. I saw a rather fascinating episode on Netflix about time and, the, you know, the perceived notion of time and how we tend to look at our past versus our future, versus where we are right now. If uh, if I take that into consideration, right now I am recording a podcast talking about my experience, not only at the Topeka FreeCon, but also my experience in general with shows and how I kind of feel about costs and all these other things. This is what's happening right now. So you guys are listening to at a later date, but what I'm talking about right now, live recording. I'm also thinking about the things I have to get done tonight after kind of nursing a uh, a growing migraine over the earlier course of the day and then having a cold coming on. But I'm also thinking of all the stuff that's happened previously in more depth, stuff that I'm not even talking about right now, you know, uh, freelance efforts, uh, other things like that. My uh, feral cat muffins who uh, I'd taken care of for a year and a half passing away not that long ago, things like that. And, um, and also trying to make plans for what I hope will be a fairly fruitful, future boy that was a mouthful fruitful future and um because of that 
I end up thinking a lot and probably noting a lot more than I had been prior. I had been struggling. I started to feel like I was going back down that that spiral definition of, of depression. Like it was going to start to like really embed itself back into me again. I was like, I really don't want to partake in that. I don't want to go back down that area. So I decided to start being a little bit more um, probably present with where I was going with things, you know, and and at least be able to acknowledge what I, I'm trying to make it a point to be much more an acknowledgement of the good things that are happening, whether it's with shows or not. So case in point, um, you know, was Topeka FreeCon the uh, most money I made this year? No. Was it a hell of a lot of fun? Yes, it was. Was the panel that I did, the very first panel I've ever been invited to talk at, you know, fun. Yeah, it was. I got an opportunity to tell stories from the road and other things like that. And uh, quite a few people that were in attendance. It was like about, honestly... <laughs> going to be completely on there was only like 10 or 11 people that were in there but three of them came up afterwards and talked to me thanked me told me my stories were funny and uh purchased a few items from me and and i was grateful for that that was amazing that was fantastic and then um you know and even thinking about NakaCon, like yes it is a bit bittersweet that you know i i could be in 2022 attending what very well might be the last show and that's a little painful right um, it's it's sad to see something like that possibly coming to an end. So I I try to look at those things, but I also try and look at the positives, you know, like my experiences, what I've come, you know, where I've come from, from those things. And it also makes me realize that right now I have to make some real decisions in life with not only my mental health, but the motivation that I have to get things done. Sometimes in life, you've only got one shot to be able to do things right. And I know that sounds like a lot of stress. It might that that very quotation may uh, fire up a lot of anxiety. I know it just did in me right now when I said it. But the truth is, is that you know there were certain things I wasn't prepared to bring to certain shows uh, in 2021. And uh, you know, as an artist, as a vendor, as as a creator, those are things that sometimes I lament because I'm like, ah, I should have brought that. I probably would have been able to sell more or do something else. You know, just yada yada yada. And what ends up happening is that I end up second guessing myself, which is horrible. That's the last thing I want to do, right? I'd like to think that I can just charge forward with a devil may care attitude, put things out there and just know that this is going to be what it's going to be, right? That I've done the best I possibly can. And therein lies the issue. You see, I want to be able to move forward into the next year and say, hey, I did the best I could right here. Like this, this is, I brought my A game, I did it, and I need to keep doing that. For the very first time in my life, really, and I, and I sincerely mean this, this year has, was kind of crazy, you know? Um, a lot of people, myself included, really, I, I won't, I won't um, exclude myself from this, really thought that 2021 was going to be the rebound year. It was going to be the one where we kind of, overcame whatever bad stuff happened in 2020. The truth is, is that it, it lingered really, you know, um, there's still a lot of uncertainty. There's still a lot of malaise, a lot of depression, a lot of sadness, and a lot of, dare I say it, fear that is still lingering out there. And I'm not just talking from business standpoints, personal levels, um, you know, the whole, the whole range of it. And, um, but it also 
made me think to myself, like, I want to be able to take some challenges on, you know, go head on with them. I was honestly kind of scared about doing TikTok because I really didn't know what I was going to post. And not every single video I've done on there has been great, but I still managed to get about, I think, 1,500 people that follow me on there, which I was like, wow, I can't believe that many people really care what I have to say, <laughs> you know, but it's a short format video thing and it, and it seems to have worked for me. And I, and I enjoy that, but I also want to be able to get back to doing the podcast, the YouTube videos I've done and everything with the same amount of, you know, found, um, or rediscovered jubilance that I have. And I, and, and the crazy thing is, is that's exactly what I want to be able to bring to the shows that I do. I realized that one of the things getting finally to that Netflix show that I brought up earlier, it was talking about time and how, when we observe time, a lot of times, man, I'm saying time a lot. There's a lot of instances where we will look back and we feel like, you know, our teenage summers lasted forever and, you know, all of these things, right? Like, oh, endless summers, um, you know, the school year, my four years in high school really, for me, felt like 20 years, all of these things, right? But then I look back and I go, you know, I have, I've lived more of my life than I feasibly have ahead of me, which can be a pretty sobering and shocking thing to say out loud. But I also have it in my head that, okay, you know, there's a lot of people, and I, and I was certainly one of them, that uh, I would spend so much time trying to figure out how to live a longer life. I wasn't living life. And that really started to occur about 10 years ago. And I don't have a really good explanation for it, aside from the fact that, like, you know, I, I kept thinking, like, this, this is going to sound crazy, but just bear with me, guys, okay? Maybe some of you can relate with this. I used to think that if I worked hard enough and did everything, crossed all my T's, dotted all my I's, you know, tried to fit in, tried to do the things that people expected of me and wanted me to do, that eventually I was going to be able to work it out to where I would be in a circumstance that I would be elevated. I would be brought up to another level by people that recognized what I was capable of doing without any real effort on my part. And I say that because... It's truth. And I'm going to, and I can say this honestly, when I worked at Hallmark, I consistently thought there would be somebody, I didn't even know who, I didn't have a name. I didn't know who they would recognize. Hey, this guy's kind of a sharp tack. This guy has got it together. We're going to put him in a position where he can talk the talk and walk the walk and what other sort of 80s saying I can throw in there, Gordon Gecko. And because of that, because of that, I realized I was living um, somewhat in, in retrospective vicariousness what my parents had expected of me, what I, what I learned in school. You know, there was an antiquated ideology that if you work hard and you're, and you're honest and you're there every single day and you give your all to the company that, uh, you know, things will, you'll get paid off. Things will work out for you, you know, like it's all you got to do. And it's not true. If it were true... Then the decades that I spent trying to do that might have paid off easier. Now, I'm not blaming them, right? That would be like me blaming the comic shows and the other shows I've done for bad sales. But in tandem, both of these things have become realizations of mine. You see, I never really took when I was 
took seriously what I was doing when I was getting ready for comic shows. I would publish comics. I did draw. I did take on commissions. I did do things like that. But for a long time, as long as I was working some other job, I always felt like this is this is a true thing. I always felt better than other people. I'm like, well, you know, I, I have a real job during the day. This is just my side gig and I'm good at both of them, which was really uh, bullshit. <laughs> I'm going to be completely honest. It was bullshit. It was it was the uh, the penultimate version of um, fake it till you make it, but also being full of shit at the same time. And I didn't like myself very much during that time. Because what I was trying to do was act like everybody else to a certain degree. I was trying to play it safe. I was trying to have my cake and eat it too. And not realizing that there was a real factor of um, of joy, of love, of care for what I was creating that was beginning to dilute itself. And I didn't, when I suddenly realized what was happening, it was it was already too late. And I ended up you know, now not employed in any capacity like that. Everything I do is freelance. And now I'm in a lot of cases, sometimes struggling with that because when you go through years and years of working for people, um, you often look to them for your, for a commodity that can't really be purchased, which is the praise, which is the, uh, the team dynamic, which might even be the, the co-working habitat aspect, right? The commiseration in a lot of circumstances, especially if you work in corporate America, you know, it's the, the whole factor of like, oh, we all got to be here at like 8 a.m. Oh, we're all going to leave here. Oh, well, I'll meet you at Chili's or something like that after work. Or we'll go drink beers and say how much our boss sucks. And um, very much an office space sort of concept. But as much as I enjoyed that movie and as true as that movie is, it isn't something that I wanted to go through. And that can the same thing can be said for attempting to, you know, push that into how I would do art shows of any kind. At some point I had to realize, hey, I'm I'm going to do what I want to do, but I also have to be aware of what will keep me afloat, you know? And it's an interesting balance to strike. On one end, you know, commissions can be a helpful thing. Um and on the other end, being able to, you know, create artwork that everybody likes, whether it's of, you know, already created characters or doing fan art. Sure, that's great. And then the other aspect of it, too, would be, you know, how true do you stay to yourself and try and really push what you're creating so that it does become the next thing that people have in demand? And I, it's been such a challenge for me to figure that out. And um, and I keep telling myself every single day, I'm going to give myself some time to just sit down and think, just, just ponder on it. But then I have this automatic guilt that starts to fill in, you know, like any moment that I'm just sitting by myself thinking, okay, I'm just going to stare at the ceiling or I'm just going to try and find time to meditate or something. I start feeling bad going, you know what? There's things you should be doing right now, right? Isn't there some stuff that you really need to take care of right now? And, be, and when I don't, I feel like I'm failing myself every single time. Now, all that said, when I did the show this weekend, I left on a high. I really did. You see, even though I didn't make a whole bunch of money there, I did make some. And there were some other circumstances that worked out that were fantastic, right? So it made the show really worth it. But the best part of the show was being able to see Craig, who ran the show, and see people I knew, hang out with friends, new and old, 
be part of a panel. And the drive out to Topeka from the Kansas City area for where, from where I am, um, it's about an hour 15, hour 25, you take the turnpike. So it's about three hours on the road being able to think. And uh, a little bit longer because after the show, I stopped at a Sonic to grab some food to eat and watch the sunset and played some Pokemon Go. And it gave me quite a few hours to think, you know, about the day. And I love that high. There's there's something about it when I go and do a show, even if it's just a small show that I don't make a lot of money at. It's just getting out there, being on the other side of the table and wanting to share what I've created. And for a while that was missing. I know all of 2020 it was missing. And it it sent me into a spiral. I felt like I wasn't really living, you know? I was kind of going through the motions. So, I guess the whole point of this was to talk about how, even though I like to think that I'm fairly, um, oh, I guess what's the word? I wouldn't say isolated, I, I'm, and I'm not necessarily a loner. I do like doing things on my own for the most part, or maybe even, you know, with a reduced quantity of people, but there is something just so wonderful about being able to go do a show and see people and interact with people. And it's just awesome. Uh, there were two wonderful cosplayers that came as, uh, I think, uh, crossplay versions of characters from super Mario brothers. If you're looking at the thumbnail for this podcast, uh, there's an image of them there. I am going to have a small mini review in my blog as well coming up and I'll just attach this podcast. So you might've just been reading this entry whenever it finally goes up. Uh, and uh, with a little bit of photography from there, if you follow me on TikTok at the artisan rogue, there's also a small video on there as well too. Not nothing fancy about it's like really a quick glance around the, the room that I was in. Um, but, I, but it reminds me how glad I am for these shows and, and for them happening because it's more than just being able to make money. It's being able to re- recharge myself and and have all these things of course money is necessary and needed and appreciated of course it is of course it is but there's so much more that i think i was kind of pushing away because i was incapable of really appreciating what it was and what that is is just the camaraderie and the general sense of like community that happens when you when you do shows like this and hearing the stories and there was this hilarious bizarre painting that was hanging in the room that they had um i think what was it one two three four five six there was eight of us in there eight artists in the in the artist room and there was this bizarre painting that was it was sitting not that far uh from us and directly in front of us there was no tables underneath it and it was like it was very children of the corn it's very strange me and cameron ended up pointing it out to craig at the end of the show it's super bizarre and and it was just really fun. I think the funniest memory I have of it is one of the artists that I, I love his work. Buster Moody was there. Just seeing him walking and taking a photo, not only of that, but there was also this phone. I mean, the school was very strange. It was very stranger things. It was very odd. The phone was connected to a single wire that went straight up to an old antiquated speaker. And, and I thought to myself, I was like, which I kind of voiced to a few of the other people. I was like, what if that is only for that speaker? What if that phone only connects to the speaker in this room, which I thought would have been surrealist Monty Python-esque sort of humor at its very finest. It's such a Zemeckis-like sort of thing. It's not even funny. Um, I just thought it was just funny and the bonding that happened even over that and the joking and that sort of thing. Um, 
And so if anyone is happening to listen to this, because I, for God's sake, I forgot my business cards and everything. I was watching Cam put out his business cards and I was like, I'm not a pro. I swear. I was like, good God, I didn't bring any business cards. Thank God I had business cards in some of the reproductions and some of my products, but I, I didn't really have any to hand out to people. And I was like, I have a box of them at home. So, um, yeah, yeah. So it, aside from that, um, yeah, that's, that was my big thing. So I am looking forward to this next year. I think I might end up actually ending this season with this particular episode. I'm not sure yet. Like, it's really weird. My episodes and my seasons don't really follow themes because it's kind of, you know, like it's always been this one man show, this one man monologue that I do. And, um, and I kind of pride myself on the fact that I never really kind of stick to one thematic subject. I'll, um, unfortunately though, when I've done that with other people, people have often said, can you just stay on one subject? And it's like, we never do. It, it always ends up going all over the place. And I'm no different. I tried to cycle back around and do that sort of thing, but you know, that, I don't think I'm that successful with it. Um, yeah. <laughs> anyway, guys, thank you for listening. It's now almost to the 35 minute mark, I believe. And uh, I appreciate you all who do listen and download these episodes and stuff. And if you get a chance, you can find me on TikTok at the Artisan Rogue. That is also my handle on Twitter and on Facebook. You can also find me on YouTube at the Artisan Rogue. I just basically Google search the Artisan Rogue, and uh, you never know what you're going to find. Uh, I will have a blog post that should be in tandem with this, and I will be doing a blog post about NakaCon, and uh, hopefully that you know you guys will find that pretty entertaining as well too. I've been so behind on that. You know, uh, I'm going to end on this. When, when dealing with mental health, like a lot of times going to therapists and trying to work through things have been a challenge. They really have. And it's, it's definitely been a heavy one for me because, you know, so much about life right now is so odd and that's okay. You know, that that's, I, I think there's been plenty of times in life where people could say that it's just that we're living through this right now. So... Here's to uh, here's to things getting better in the future. I won't even sit here and say, here's the better things in 2022. I hate New Year's Eve. That's just bullcrap. Oh, it's the new me in 2020. Shut up. No, it's not. It's just another day flipped over. You know, it's not a big deal. Not a big deal. Yeah. <laughs> All right, guys. Thank you so much for listening. I am Mario the Artisan Rogue, and this is Radio 74. And I will catch you in the next episode.